Matthew chapter 7. And today we're, we're focusing on verse 12, but I want to read verses 1 through 12 and, uh, and, and keep all this together. So Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And this is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would um, bless the reading of your Word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and help me to teach this verse. And I pray that you would uh, help your people to receive it, to understand it, to take heed of it, and to uh, live it out. And I pray that we'll just leave with a better understanding of what you have called us to do. And, uh, and also what you have done for us. And I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, I want to take just a second and discuss where we've been so far in chapter 7. I know I just read through all of it and, I've, and I want to go back over it again because the verses that we're looking at in chapter 7 are, are very often only looked at by themselves. And, and people uh, misunderstand what they mean because they don't read them in the context of this sermon. And I want us to be clear going into verse 12. So in verses 1 through 5... We saw that we're, we're dealing with other people, brothers and sisters in Christ, and how to use godly wisdom in order to help them remove the, figuratively speaking, the specks, the, the little sins from their eyes. And we're told to make sure that we have the logs out of our eyes first, and then we'll be able to see properly to help our brothers. And then in verse 6, we learned that to use godly wisdom and discernment in, in dealing with those who are outside the faith. That we need to be smart and wise about who we're talking to. We need to recognize who those dogs and pigs are of the world. Uh, those who will not be receptive to the gospel but will uh, rather take it and, and misuse it. It would be detrimental to the message for us to keep on, keep on, keep on shoving the message on them when they're, they're not receptive. And so we have to be wise. We have to be discerning and, and know when those times come and, and when we just have to back away and, and pray for them or 
uh, like the the uh, disciples and the apostles did is you know turn around and shake the dust off your feet and go to another city. Um, now the thrust of all those verses one through six is if you can picture in your mind is a horizontal use of godly wisdom. That's this way between us people. So we're we're coming to this and. And we're using godly wisdom to look at ourselves and then to help our brothers and sisters, other people, other Christians, and then lost people. It's all horizontal. We're using godly wisdom and, and relating it to other people. It's relational. Then in verses 7 through 11, we learn how to acquire that type of godly wisdom. A lot of us want to help people. We want to apply scripture to our lives. We want to help our brothers and sisters. And we want to go and share the gospel with lost people. We want that type of wisdom. And so Jesus then goes to tell us how to get it. And in verses 7 and 8, he says, Ask, seek, and knock. Go after this wisdom. Ask God for it. Pray. Read the scriptures. Allow the Holy Spirit to, to give you this and teach you. And it says that God will give it. And in verses 9 through 11, Jesus explained that God will give us this wisdom. And the, the support for that was that He is a good and loving Father. He, he uses our own sinful abilities as parents. We can give good gifts to our children. So how, why would we not think that God can give us good gifts, including this godly wisdom. And so if we ask God, He will give it. And that's, the, that's the, the support for that. So we come to verse 12. And the verse starts out with the word so. So, or since God has treated you this way, verse 11, you should treat others in a certain way. Verse 12. We're, we're still dealing with how we treat other people, other human beings, brothers and sisters in Christ, or lost people, as it pertains to the, the wisdom and the teaching that Jesus has given us in, in this sermon and in all of Scripture, we're still, that's how we're, we're still talking on that same topic. How do we deal out this stuff with other people? And that should not be surprising because that's all we've been talking about since the beginning of chapter 7 is this godly wisdom and how to use it and where to use it. So verse 12 just continues that thought. So we come to verse 12 and we read it. Most people know this. This verse uh, might be more well known than John 3.16. This might be more well known to outsiders than Matthew 7.1. A lot of people know the golden rule. In the 1670s I think it was. This became known as the golden rule or the golden law. This is the, the prize law. It's, its value is, is you know through the roof. It's so valuable. It's the golden rule. Before we get to that, I want to go through read some things for you because we need to understand that this type of teaching, this rule, is not exactly specific or exclusive to Christianity only. And I say exactly because, as we'll see, there are some things, and as we get through this, we'll see that really what this is, is is very exclusive to Christianity, but a lot of other religions have something that sounds very, very, very similar, very close. And, and, and so I want to read that um, and, and explain what those are doing and how what Jesus is teaching is different. And, um, and a lot of these are quotes from Wikipedia, 
on the rule of, this is what they call this, the rule of reciprocity or reciprocal, a reciprocal rule, a rule of exchange. We're trading something. And this is just, like I said, I'm quoting from Wikipedia. You can Google the golden rule and this comes up. In ancient China, most of you have heard of Confucius. Confucius say, quote, what you do not wish for yourself, do not do to others. So you can see that very similar. He also said, never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. Confucius sounds very similar to Christian teaching. Um, in ancient Egypt, this is an early example of the golden rule that reflects the ancient Egyptian concept of mayat. It says, quote, now this is the command, do to the doer to cause that he do thus to you. See, we're trading. I'm doing this to you to cause you to do something back to me. Um, this is an example of a late period papyrus. It says, quote, that which you hate to be done to you, do not do to another. In ancient Greece, Pittacus said, quote, do not do to your neighbor what you would take ill from him. Sounds similar. Thales, avoid doing what you would blame others for doing. Sextus the Pythagorean, what you do not want to happen to you, do not, your, do, not do it yourself either. I, Socrates, do not do to others what would anger you if done to you by others. Epictetus, what thou avoidest suffering thyself, seek not to impose on others. Plato, Socrates, one should never do wrong in return, nor mistreat any man, no matter how one has been mistreated by him. Ancient Rome, Seneca, says, maybe following Publilius Cyrus, quote, expect from others what you did to them. It's an exchange. India, uh, the Sanskrit tradition says, quote, treat others as you treat yourself. The Tamil tradition, quote, why does a man inflict upon other creatures those sufferings which he has found by experience are sufferings to himself? Let not a man consent to do those things to another which he knows will cause sorrow. In Buddhism, Udana Varga says, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Judaism says, that which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. That is the whole Torah. The rest is the explanation. Go and learn. That's probably the closest thing to this. That may have been written during the time of Jesus. He may have read that. And in the Apocrypha, the book of Tobit, chapter 4, verse 15, do to no one what you yourself dislike. So we can see all this. All these different world religions have the same idea, same teaching. People say, oh, all these religions, they're all the same. We're all going to the same place. You see these teachings. Well, I want to point your attention to what's different. First of all, all of those rules are known as rules of reciprocity, rules of exchange, of reciprocal trade. Most of them carry with them this idea that you are going to get back what you are giving. Or you act in such a way as to expect to receive something. In other words, live this way and you'll receive it back. Or treat others this way. And expect them to treat you the same way. It's about exchange. I'm doing this and that you'll do this to me. Second, almost all of those ancient teachings, if you noticed, are formed in a negative phrasing. Almost all of them were worded as do not do. 
do to no one, hurt not others, or avoid doing. Those are all negative forms of exchange. Now, if you think about it, anytime there's a rule formed in a negative, you can actually obey that rule by doing nothing. You could seclude yourself on a desert island with no other human beings around and perfectly obey all of those rules because in doing nothing to anyone, you also will have not done the things that you didn't want them to do to you. So you can be inactive and obey those rules. So now let's look at the way Jesus puts it and notice the differences. So... Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. First notice, Jesus doesn't promise anything in return. This is not a rule for reciprocity. It's not an exchange. You're not promised to get anything back. It doesn't say do to others the way they do to you. Nor does it say, the way you treat others is the way they're going to treat you, so treat them kindly. This is almost a standalone rule. Second, it's not phrased in a negative form. It, 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 this is not a, a do not do only rule. It, it, it includes that, but it's actually a lot more. See, there's no way that you can be obedient to this rule by not doing anything. Because this says... Do also to them. It's a do rule. In order to be obedient, you have to do something. You have to be active. It requires action on the part of the reader in order to be obedient. So what is he teaching? The verse starts with the word so. In the English Standard Version, the uh, New American Standard Bible says, uh, therefore... It could also say accordingly or consequently. We know this. We we'll read our Bibles. That means that what is about to come is connected to what was before. And I think it connects it to the rest of the sermon previous to this point. Now if you look immediately to the left to what is before this. We read what we saw last week about acquiring godly wisdom in order to grow and help others grow in their faith. We go to our Father and ask Him for this godly wisdom and He will give generously to all without reproach. And like I said, the main support, the pillars that are holding up the, 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 the teaching, asking it will be given, seeking you will find, knocking it will be open. What's holding that up is the fatherly love of God. He loves you and He will give it. He is a, he is a perfect Father. If evil fathers can give good things, then... Of course, a heavenly father can give you good things. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. The word whatever is all-inclusive. It means everything in all situations at all times. The totality of the things that you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Now... This is assuming a normal mental state of mind, okay? You, if you want to get technical, you could say, well, you know, I know somebody who's suicidal and they want somebody to kill them. And so if they want that to be done to them, should they go and kill somebody? Okay, that's, that's not what it's talking about. We're under assumption that this is normal, fairly normal thinking Christian people. Also, some of us would say, well, I just wish everybody would leave me alone. I've been there. Again. 
It's not what Jesus means. He's assuming that we're not social rattlesnakes, okay? You're a believer. You, you like people. You love people. You enjoy people. I know this, this is wishful thinking for some of us, but that's how we should be. We love people. We want to be around people. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. The word wish is exactly that. It's a, it's a, a desire. Whatever you want. In all situations, everyday life, at all times, in all places, whatever you desire, whatever you want, whatever you wish that everybody else would do to you, do also to them. It doesn't say, however people treat you, do also to them. That would be exchange. Christianity doesn't teach exchange. It says, whatever you wish people would do, whether they do it or not. More than likely, they're not going to be doing it. But what you wish they would do, do also to them. So, we, we take all this first statement and put it together. So, or accordingly, consequently, therefore, because you want godly wisdom in order to look at your own life and apply it and help your brothers and sisters in Christ apply it to their lives uh, because you need godly discernment and knowing how to, to deal with outsiders and how to use the gospel wisely with them and because you know that God is a loving Father and He will give it because if you're wicked, you know how to give good gifts so surely He knows how to give good gifts and because you now know that, that He is a perfect heavenly Father and He will give you good things, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is a, a type of reasoning. The reason you should do to other people the things that you wish they would do to you is because God has given and promises to give you all these good gifts. So, in light of the grace and the mercy that we have received from God, we also turn and treat other people the way they want to be treated or the way we want to be treated. This is, this is coming here from God to us and going out. It's not exchanged this way for the Christian. It's coming down from God and going out. God gives it, we work it out. God gives it, we work it out. Now this puts us all on a level playing field. If you read this, this puts us all together because he doesn't say, so whatever God has done to you, you do also to others. Because there's no way we could ever begin to mimic the grace and the mercy we've been shown. That, that's, that's exclusive to God alone. Only he could give that kind of grace and mercy. So we can't do that. But in light of what God has done, put everybody on a level playing field here, a standard that everybody can relate to and everybody has the way you wish people would treat you. Because everybody in your own mind, you know what you wish people would do to you. You know how you want people to treat you. We all know this. This is a standard everybody can understand. Maybe different for different people, but everybody knows this. Everybody can think in their own mind, how do I wish other people would treat me? So, think about a normal day for you. And your routine, I don't know what that might look like, but think about it. Your routine, the places you go, the things you do, the situations you find yourself in, the people that you come in contact with. Just think about that. Now imagine that every day is tailored perfectly for you. 
that everybody in the world is working to make sure your day goes just like you want it to. Hassle-free, pain-free, confrontation-free, disappointment-free. They're, they're just they're doing it for you. Everything you wish everybody would do for you. Think about that. Now, in all of those situations, that's going to require somebody to at least change, if not reroute their entire daily routine for you so that you can have a perfect day. All the things that everybody would have to do to help you, to do what you wish they would do to you. Now, Jesus says, now go and do that to everybody else. All the things you wish everybody would be doing for you and to you, do that for everyone else. And the minute that you begin to think that that might be a little too difficult, that might impose on your own desires, remember what's supporting this, what's driving this. Remember what God, your Heavenly Father, has done for you. Contemplate your sin. And think on your shortcomings, your shortcomings. Dwell on your apathy when it comes to godly things. How often we just we're not we just don't think about it. Meditate on your laziness when it comes to religious things. All the shortcomings that we have and the sins that we have and the rebellion that we've lived in. And then think and ponder that cross standing outside of Jerusalem as passers-by walk by and they look and, and they just wag their heads at the Son of God bleeding and dying for your sin. Think on that when it feels like treating other people like you want to be treated would inconvenience your daily routine. You think on that. That's what's driving this. Your Father in Heaven who's given you good gifts, so go and treat other people the way you want to be treated. That's what's pushing it. It's, it's gospel pushing it. God has done this for you, and so go and do this for others. So... Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. It's very, very interesting that Jesus sums this little teaching up with this phrase. This, this rule, this command, this, this lifestyle, this way of living. This is the law and the prophets. Contemplate how you want everybody to treat you and then live that way to them. for them. That is the law and the prophets. Now we started off the body of the sermon in chapter 5, 17 through 20. And he said, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. It wasn't something new. I'm coming to, to properly interpret the law of Moses. Help you understand how it works. And then he states here, this teaching is the law and the prophets. This horizontal, relational, dealing with people issue. This is the law and the prophets. That's why I think verse 12 actually takes into consideration everything leading up to that point. Because he, the, the entire body of the sermon is bracketed with the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. This is the law and the prophets. And the idea of the law and the prophets... 
is, is, is surrounding this sermon. Now, you hopefully you remember, we took nine weeks and we walked through the Old Testament. We took really big steps to the Old Testament. But we studied the idea of the Law and the Prophets really specifically for three weeks. And, and we looked at that. Now, when, when you read the Law and the Prophets, that was a Jew's way of saying the Old Testament. Now, they don't believe in the New Testament, so don't say... Old Testament around them, that's just their scriptures, the, the, the Tanakh. And so when they say the law and the prophets, that's my Bible. This is the Bible for a Jew. And we talked about the law. If you remember, there's three ways you break up the law. There's the, the, the moral law, which finds its foundation in the Ten Commandments, also called the Decalogue, the moral law. And then there's the judicial law, which takes... The Ten Commandments and shows how they apply to civility and govern a nation and a people group and how we live together. That's the judicial law. And then there was the ceremonial law. That was all the, the tabernacle and the, the furniture and the sacrifices and the blood and all that stuff. The three different separations in the law. And you'll remember that the moral law, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the, the Ten Words as it's called... Is a list of ten rules that are eternal because they're based on the nature and the character of God Himself. And so God never changes, so the Ten Commandments never change. The first four, the Ten Commandments, we call it the first table, deal with how we relate to God. And then the last six. Known as the second table, verses five or uh, commandments five through ten, deal with our relationship with other people. They're the horizontal rules, how we work this way with other human beings. And here in Matthew chapter seven, verse twelve, Jesus says, "This teaching, this is the law and the prophets." What he's saying is, this teaching, this rule, sums up. Every single rule in the Old Testament that finds as its foundation the last six commandments. Obey this one and you will have obeyed every single one of them. If you get this one right, they all come under this one. So if you treat other people the way you want to be treated, you will obey and honor your father and your mother. You will. If you treat other people the way you want to be treated, you will not murder or hate people. If you treat other people the way you want to be treated, you will not commit adultery. It's a given. You will not steal. You will not bear false witness. You won't covet. If you're doing to others the way that you wish they would do to you, you will have obeyed all of these. And hopefully you'll remember the Ten Commandments. God wrote them down for Moses. As the nation of Israel became a theocracy, God wrote them. But before that... They were just given rules for human beings. Everybody knew. Cain knew he should not have killed his brother. That's why he said, well, I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He, he was hiding it. Um, Abraham, he knew that he should not have lied in Egypt. And to Abimelech and said, oh, that's my sister, not my wife. He knew that. Abimelech knew that if he would have slept with Abraham's wife, it would have been sin. And so God stopped him in the night. This is, it was known. God wrote him down to govern and, and to, to establish the nation of Israel as a people. 
But this is common knowledge for all human beings. That's why this type of teaching is in every religion that's ever existed. Because it's just, it's just human nature. We know this. We know we should treat one another the way we want to be treated. Or, or at least we shouldn't do things to people that we wouldn't want them to do to us. It's, it's common. So if, if somebody says, oh, Jesus, he just taught the same thing that every other religion was teaching. You can say, exactly, because those people were created by God who instilled in them this common human nature that all people are born with. The one and only God of the Bible. And it's not much of a, an argument after that point. It's common knowledge. Carl Lentz of uh, Hillsong Church, New York City says, Very rarely did Jesus ever talk about morality or social issues. That's false, by the way. This sermon, this one sermon, sums up all of the moral teachings of the Old Testament. And this one verse sums up all of the moral teachings in this entire sermon as it deals with human relationships because it sums up the entire second table of the law. Not only did Jesus publicly speak about morality and social issues, but a proper Christology, an understanding of who Christ is, understands that Jesus actually wrote every word in this book, so which is the foundation for every moral law that's ever been given. So Jesus absolutely spoke publicly and boldly about moral and social issues. Now I know when we read this, maybe you're thinking, this is not the only place that Jesus does this. And you're right. Matthew 22, 36 through 40, very common. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So they're trying to catch Jesus, you see, which is the greatest. And he says, well, I would say the greatest is this one, which is the first four commandments and then the second one is like it which is the last six of the ten commandments the ten commandments that is the greatest law notice love your neighbor as yourself sounds a whole lot like whatever you wish other people would do to you do also to them it's the same idea Galatians 5 14 for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself Romans 13.9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant, and covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul sums up the entire second table of the law with love your neighbor as yourself. Or he could have also said, whatever you wish other people would do to you, do also to them. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. James 2.8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. There James again, the apostle, brother of Jesus, says the exact same thing as Paul and Jesus. They all say, you can sum up the entire second table of the law, and thus the entire Old Testament, as it pertains to relating with one another, you know, getting somebody's donkey out of a hole or whatever it might have been in the Old Testament... 
It's all summed up under this one rule, this one statement. And this supports what I said last week, that all of the New Testament teachings, when they in the New Testament, in governing the church and, and marriages and all these things, they can all be deduced from this one sermon. This sermon is a mammoth. If it was us back in this day, we would have said, Jesus brought the heat in one sermon. Every topic you can imagine in one sermon. And what you'll begin to notice as you think about this, that I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. I'm supposed to think about what I want them to do to me and do it to them. Some sums up the whole second part of the law. You're going to find out that there are actually, statistically, there are actually more others than there are you. So that means it's going to take a lot more time and attention and focus and thought to treat others the way you want to be treated than it takes to treat yourself the way you want to be treated. In other words, living out this command necessitates selflessness. Selflessness. A selfless attitude. That is the Christian mindset. A selfless attitude. You're not going to have time to think about your own personal desires and, oh, I wish I had this and I wish I had that. Because you're going to be spending your entire day, every, of your, your whole week, every waking moment, you're going to be spending looking at other people's lives and, and taking notes and studying them and thinking about the things they want and planning ahead and, and considering others so that you can properly live and do all these things for them that you wish they would do to you. You will have to be completely selfless. And remember, he says, whatever you wish. That's, that's all inclusive. All the things that you wish everyone would do for you in all the situations of your life. You have to reverse engineer that thinking and plan ahead so that you can do all of those things to all of those people. Now, if we hone in specifically to the context here in chapter 7, we learn a lot about the way we should be using godly wisdom with others. Don't you wish that other people were just ready and willing and waiting to help guide you through the scriptures and through life and how to apply it? Don't you wish others would just be readily available to say, well, that verse, I mean, look at it. This is what it means. And explain this stuff and help you apply it. Don't you wish other people had the discernment to just come and tell you, oh, God's word says this. You've got these two, you know, these two decisions, and this is obviously this, this, and this, so that's out. It's got to be this one. And all these, these hard decisions we have, we wish somebody was there to do that for us. And so you must work and pray and study and prepare yourself to do the same things for others. That's the rule. Don't you wish that everyone had the discernment? To know what you needed to hear, when you needed to hear it in the right tone of voice. That you needed to hear it at every moment. If you were still lost and headed for hell, do you not wish a Christian or some Christians would be praying for you and calling you up and trying to meet with you and explain to you the gospel of salvation found in Jesus? Do you not wish? Then you must work and study and pray and prepare yourself to do the same things for others. That's the rule that sums up every other rule as it pertains to human relationships. Now, all of that should be working and hopefully you're beginning to sense 
a little bit of a problem here. There's an issue. The conundrum is that the standard that I'm supposed to use to gauge how I treat other people is also the foundational problem that I have with being obedient to this command. I'm supposed to think about what I want everybody else to do for me. The problem is that's all I ever think about is what I wish other people would do for me. We're selfish and this command says take your selfishness and use it to become selfless. No, we don't do this. We can't do this. This is contrary to our nature to stop thinking about ourselves in order to only think of others. Go back to the Garden of Eden. It all goes back there. Eve is standing there and, and the serpent questions God's word. And what was the first sin? It wasn't that she bit the fruit. The first sin was that was when Eve saw that the fruit was a delight to the eyes and desire to make one wise. A delight to whose eyes? Eve's eyes. Who was going to be wise? Eve was going to be wise. Her sin happened when she stopped living out of selfless devotion to God and started thinking about what she could get out of this fruit. And ever since then, all of our sin, our foundational problem is selfishness. We only think of ourselves. The very first of the Ten Commandments smashes us in the face because it says, Stop worshiping yourself and worship God alone. In the second table of the law, the last six commandments, we have to live contrary to our desires in all of our human relationships. We must be in relationship with people because we're created for it. We, we just do it. That's our society. But we have to do it without being selfish, without doing the things that only take into account our own desires and our own selfish passions. So Jesus is saying, take that selfishness that's ingrained into your nature, that is that is woven into the fabric of your 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 character it's it's in your dna the proclivity that you have to only think of yourself and just reverse it in order to think about everybody else and we have all failed all of us have failed he sets out to fulfill the law and the prophets he he gives us the truest meaning of the law he he tells us to seek First, the kingdom of God. He tells us to, to seek godly wisdom when dealing with others. He tells us to be selfless when dealing with others. He says, this is the law and the prophets. And once again, if you're going to earn God's affections by living the law and the prophets, you will fail. There's no way it can happen because we've all failed miserably. This is the law and the prophets. Now, how do you feel? And the measuring rod is higher than anybody can ever attain to. The good news is Jesus didn't fail. Not only did he fulfill the law and the prophets by helping us and teaching us to understand the truest meaning and the, and the, the best interpretation. But he also fulfilled the law and the prophets by living out this very command perfectly. In our place. Jesus Christ. The son of God. God's Messiah. Very God. A very God. Eternally existent with the father. Came to earth. Took on the form. I got to thinking about this at Christmas. We always want to think about. Oh he just came and he was born in a barn. He took on the form of an unborn fetus. Inside of a womb. 
born of the Virgin Mary, a human being subject to the law, just like every human being was. Only he did it perfectly. Jesus, he had no sin in him, neither was there any deceit found in his mouth, tempted in every way we are, and yet without sin. He was literally the righteousness, the goodness of God himself in human form. He knew no sin and yet was made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Bore the wrath of God on the cross for God's elect. The just for the unjust. Reconciling us to the Father with His own blood. If that's not selfless love, I don't know what is. There's there's nothing else we can look at. Jesus sets the standard of selfless love by laying down His life as a ransom for many. In John 15, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this. That someone laid down his life for his who? His friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. So there you have it. The greatest example of love that we could ever imagine. The greatest example of love the world has ever seen. Jesus Christ dying for his friends. And who are his friends? Those who are obedient to his commands. Who who follow his teachings. his, His disciples. Christians. If you're a Christian, that's you and that's me. He laid down his life. For us. And so we see, again, in the sermon, that God has set a standard that is so much higher than any of us could ever imagine. Higher than we can achieve. We've all fallen short. If you've responded to Christ in repentance and faith and His sacrifice, then this rule and, and the law, it no longer stands over you as judgment condemning you. But it's, it's, it's a guide now. It's a way that I can look and say, hey, I can, I'm going to start living that way. And we can actually begin to do this. We can begin to love God and love people in Christ the way we're supposed to. Our righteous deeds become righteous in Christ. So you can leave here, go out, and you can actually begin to love other people the way you want to be loved. You're not going to be able to do it all the time. It's just not going to happen. But you will make strides and you will... Progress, And you can say, hey, my Heavenly Father has gifted me with the greatest gift that the world has ever known. His own Son in my place. And so I can look at you and say, man, I, if I were you, this is what I would want. So I'm going to do it because this is what is, is motivating me to live this way. I'm living, I'm, I'm loving people with a love that comes down from here. doesn't start here comes down from here and then goes out. That flows from the greatest act of love that the world's ever known. It doesn't start here. It starts here and and comes and works out. So let's pray. and. uh...